You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there with us now. Deuteronomy finds the children of Israel up against the promised land. They've, they've been journeying for decades, for almost 40 years, making their way through the desert in a meaningless, circular journey that was a result of their own disobedience. And, and here in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving them a reminder. He's, he's re-giving the law. He's re-establishing the things that God had already uh, told them. And it's good for us to be reminded. Um, Philippians is, is a real reminder as we're studying Philippians on Sunday mornings. Over and over again, uh, Paul says that we need to rejoice, that we need to find joy. And, and he says, you know, I don't write these things um, to be uh, repetitive in, in the sense that it would be tedious. He says, no, it's safe for you to hear these things over and over again. And Deuteronomy is really the re-giving of the law. And we've, we've seen uh, in our study thus far, we've seen them be reminded of, of the Ten Commandments and be reminded of, of some of these things that, that God had laid out for them in Exodus and Leviticus and, and Numbers. And tonight we're going to look at chapters 12 and 13. And in chapter 12, Paul makes it, or excuse me, God makes it really clear through Moses that there is a prescribed place of worship. That they couldn't just worship God anywhere they felt like. They couldn't just offer sacrifice anywhere that seemed convenient to them. That it was laid out for them what they were to do and how they were to do it. And he says, these are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. And so he's telling them, when you get into the, the land of promise, there, you're going to encounter all of these places of worship. And where they would worship, these false gods were up on the high places, they called them. They would be up on hills and up in the mountains. And, and in their warped sense of thinking, that was getting them closer to God if they were up higher. And, and this is where all of this idolatry and false worship would take place. And God tells Moses, look, they are to destroy the false places of worship. They're not to, to just, you know, not do it and, and sort of be passive about it. They're to proactively purge it out of the land. And there's, there's truth in that for us that uh, the old things that maybe we were a part of, the, the old uh, idolatrous things that, that were a part of our life, that they need to go. That Not only do we not do those things, but that we also would purge any sort of temptation, any uh, 
lingering effect of those things out of our life, that we would just completely get rid of it, uh, and that we wouldn't allow it to be a part of our family, that we wouldn't tolerate it uh, in in our homes, that we wouldn't tolerate it in our children's lives, uh, that we wouldn't tolerate it in our church, that it would be completely gone. And that's what uh, God uh, is commanding them. And, and He's telling them that uh, these things have got to be completely eradicated. He says, But you shall seek the place where the Lord God chooses out of all your tribes to put His name for His dwelling place, and there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And so God was telling the people that there was going to be a set place for them to worship. That they didn't just get to go and worship Him wherever they felt like. That, that they didn't get to corporately worship God anywhere that seemed convenient. And there was a place where that was to happen. And the, the tabernacle, which was very mobile, is now going to be stationary. And, of course, uh, many years later they would build a temple that would be permanent under Solomon. But until then they would have a tabernacle just like they had in the wilderness, but it would be set up in a permanent location. And this was the place that they were to go and worship God because we know that God resided there in the Holy of Holies. And this is where they were to do their burnt offerings, their sacrifices, they were to take their tithes, the heave offerings, the vowed offerings, the free will offerings, all these offerings that we, that we read about, which are all fulfilled in Jesus, but all speak of the fact that we need to be giving our lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord, that we need to be giving Him our resources. And of course, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, in this particular uh, dispensation in which we live, this, this time in that we live under the cross. Uh, it's, it's obviously different. The, the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart. We don't have a, a set place that we have to worship God. But I think there's, there's some neat application here in that oftentimes people will say, well, I don't need to go to church. Or I don't have to worship God uh, the way that you do. I can find Him out on the golf course. Or I can find Him in the woods. Or I find Him in any number of places that, that people say they, they find God. And what they mean by that is I don't have to, to come to Jesus or to God the way that He says I have to. I, I can do my own thing. And this makes it very clear that that isn't the case. And it also makes it clear that, that gathering corporately and worshiping God corporately is important. And that that would be the place that, that we bring our sacrifice in a sense that it would be uh, confession. That when we come to church, uh, we remember the cross and we confess our sins and, and we're reminded of His death and resurrection. And that we, we can confess our sins and He's faithful and just. Not that we can't do that other places, but when we come together, especially around communion, and but but every time we come together, we we remember the cross. We we never gather apart from the crucifixion. It's what it's all about. It's why we gather, 
And so he talks about that, the sacrifices. He talks about the tithes. And, and again, people will say, well, that was in the Old Testament. I don't have to give to the Lord any longer. I, I don't, I'm not under that obligation. And the truth of the matter is, is that we're under a greater obligation. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 talks about giving and, and that we would give as we purpose in our heart that we would give with a joyful heart. See, they would give their tithes, they would bring their offerings out of obligation, really. It was what they were required to do by the law, and they would do that to the penny. It was 10%. And, and they, would, they would divide out, often what they would give would be their crops and their grains. And, and we give money now but it was an agrarian society and they would bring that to the lord which then often would be sold or or what have you but they would divide it out just perfectly and this is what i get and this is what the lord gets and and sometimes we see that with christians is they're 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 under the law and sometimes people say well well praise the lord i'm not under the law i don't have to give And, and that's wrong because the new testament teaches that that we need to be giving to the lord but other people will say, well, okay, if I've got to give, then I'm going to give as if I'm under the law, and I'm going to give just to the penny. And, and it's this obligation, and, and I don't really want to do it, and, and it's begrudgingly. And God would say, look, keep it if that's the case. But the New Testament makes it very clear that, that we need to be giving to the Lord. And it's always interesting this time of year to see uh, how the giving is... Uh, is very much influenced by the holidays and and how uh, you just you can pretty much uh, take it to the bank pardon the pun that the giving is going to go down around the holiday season and because people's priorities are in other places and and obviously um, that isn't how it should be because Jesus has to come first and that's what uh, the uh, the Bible talks about when it says that we need to give him of our first fruits. That we would give him out of a cheerful heart, out of an abundant heart, and, and out of a heart that says, Lord, I want to give you the best. Not my leftovers, uh, not after I pay all my bills, and after I buy my Christmas gifts, and after I do this, and, and after I pamper myself, then you know there's going to be a few dollars left over for you. No, we give him of our first fruits, and we give him sacrificially. And people will say, well, again, I'm not under an obligation, so I'll just give wherever I want. I don't have to give to the church. I'll, I'll give to this ministry over here, or I will dictate where my offering goes and, and where my gift goes, and people want to do that as well. And, and again, that's just simply not biblical. Uh, the Bible says we give uh, to the Lord, we give to the church, we give to the, uh, in this case, uh, the priests in the, in the tabernacle, and, and then the Lord will use it as he sees fit. And, and you know, in a, in a church in 2007, it looks a little different than it did in Deuteronomy. But uh, certainly, the things that we get to enjoy and the things that uh, we come together and, and partake of, uh, the worship and uh, the activities in the church and the Bible teaching and, and all of the rest, uh, they come uh, 
you know, at a price. None of, none of this is free. And, and sometimes I think people lose sight of that. And, and, and God was reminding them that they needed to be uh, engaged in their worship, that they brought sacrifices, that they brought their tithes, that they, they brought of their resources so that the place of worship uh, could function properly. And he says, There you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You, sh- you shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. And, and so God says, Look, there's a prescribed way you're going to worship me. It's not a free-for-all, and, and there's no Lone Ranger worship. It's... it's how I want to be worshipped. And there's still truth in that in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, that we don't just worship God in whatever way we feel like. And, and it's not about us, and it's, it's not um, about how it makes us feel. It's about Him and doing what, what is right in His sight, not in our own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses. In one of your tribes there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood, you shall pour it on the earth like water. And basically what God is saying here is that They weren't to just sacrifice wherever they wanted to. There was a prescribed place of sacrifice that they were to come and meet the Lord. But they could eat meat wherever they wanted to. And so there was liberty in that. But in their eating of meat, they were not to drink or eat the blood. The animal had to be completely drained of its blood. And and that was actually a principle that would even be... um, reiterated to the Gentile believers in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And I think that the the real purpose behind that uh, is that it would show us the importance of blood, that Jesus shed his blood for our sins, and and the importance of that, that we would never minimize that, that we would never um, flippantly look at the importance of blood. And as we're going to read here, uh, the Bible teaches us that the life, that our life is in our blood. And it took thousands of years 
for science to catch up with the Bible. Because for thousands of years, people didn't realize that. They didn't realize that the life was in the blood. They, they didn't realize that you need your blood. In fact, um, history tells us that George Washington, our first president, died of what was called bloodletting. That because at that time in their medicine and in their approach to, uh, to medicine, they believed that illnesses and sicknesses were in the blood. And so you had to drain out the blood to get rid of it. Well, in the year 2007, we know that you can only do that for so long and you're going to die. And they kept doing that to people and people were dying all the time. And finally they figured it out. Man, you really need this red stuff that is flowing through your veins. But if they would have just simply believed, believed the Bible that said the life is in the blood, which really speaks of Jesus shedding his blood for our sins. You see... There, there's kind of a, a, a real move today to want to worship the life of Jesus and, and worship the teachings of Jesus and worship the influence of Jesus. And all of those things are phenomenal. We need to, to really pattern our life after his life. We need to heed the teachings of Jesus. We need to model the way Jesus did things. But that is not what saves us. What saves us is the blood of Christ. And we can never get away from that. We can never move past that. And that's why Paul said, I knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We can never move away from the cross. And I think that's why the Old Testament puts such a high value on the blood, that they weren't to drink the blood or eat the blood. It's all pointing us to Jesus and His shed blood. And so God is telling them, look, go ahead and, and, and eat meat wherever you want to, but make sure that you drain the blood from it. Pour it on the earth like water. You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil of the firstborn of your herd or your flock of any of your offerings which you vow of your freewill offerings or of the heave offering of your hand. And so God says, look, the thing that you've decided and determined to give to me, don't then change your mind and partake of it yourself. And man, we are really guilty of that. We say, Lord, I'm going to give you this portion of my income. Oh, but it's the holiday season, like I said. So Lord, I'm only going to give you this much this month. Or Lord, I'm really short, and so it's not going to work out. And rather than sacrificing in other areas, it's convenient to shortchange the Lord. And we can get away with that. And we can still have everything that we want and just shortchange God. It's kind of like, you know, little kids and they go and get um, something out of the fridge for their brother and then they drop the one in the dirt and they still have the one in their hand. Guess who's got dropped in the dirt? Of course, it's the siblings. It's not mine. It's, it's, it's your popsicle that I dropped in the dirt. It would never be, oh, here, I dropped mine, you can have this one. And that's kind of what we do with God. Lord, I'm sorry, but I spent all your money. You know, and, and that's what God is saying uh, to, to these uh, Israelites is, look, the thing that you've been commanded to give, the thing that you've vowed to give, don't then partake of it yourself. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. 
you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. And so they were to rejoice in everything that they did. Everything they did was to be worship to the Lord. And, and I think that that is so important for us, that whatever we do, we would do it with a joyful heart, that we would rejoice, that when we come to gather together as a body, that we would do it with joy, that it wouldn't be repetitive or it wouldn't be the thing that I have to do, but we would gather together in joy and in rejoicing, that when we get up in the morning, it would be with a heart filled with joy and that we would find joy. And it's, as I said, the theme also of the book of Philippians that we're studying on Sunday, finding that place of joy. For Paul, it was in prison. He found joy. For you, it may be in the midst of a difficult marriage, or it may be in the, in the midst of financial troubles, or it may be in the midst of a failing business, or it may be in the midst of, of rebellious kids, or it may be in the midst of physical ailments. And whatever it is, whatever state of life you're in, as Paul said in Philippians, we need to learn to be content and we need to learn to find joy. We have to find that place of joy. Otherwise, uh, we're miserable. Otherwise, we're misrepresenting God. And when, when you look at a Christian that has no joy, it's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? And I wonder if it's why we have so little influence on our culture is, is yes, the compromise and the hypocrisy, but also maybe the lack of joy. And, and if people look at our life and they don't see it, joy in the midst of difficulties, then they think to themselves, what do you have that I don't have? And sometimes after we've been saved for a while, I think it's real easy for us to think that we are the only people that experience difficulties. And, and you kind of you hear Christians say that, you know, that I'm being, I'm being attacked, you know, in, in this area and physical ailments or, um, you know, all those things I just lifted, listed off a few minutes ago. And, and we act as if we are the only ones that go through those things. No, everybody does. The whole world does. Your neighbor does. The guy at work does. The, the, the pagan down at the gym. They're all going through all of the same things. But what we have that they don't have is Jesus. What we have that they don't have is a source of strength and joy in the midst of those things. And this idea that if we get saved, everything is just going to get better is not biblical. But what will happen is that when we get saved, when we come to Christ, we'll have the ability to work our way and navigate our way through those things with joy, with purpose, with the right perspective. That's what we need. And Paul says, in whatever you put your hands to, rejoice in it. Wherever you're at in life. I keep saying Paul. It's not Paul, it's Moses, I apologize. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. When the Lord your God enlarges your border as he has promised you, and you say, let me eat meat, because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. 
Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall not pour it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Now he's going he's gonna to warn them, and he's going to, to give them caution regarding these false gods. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. So he, he warns them. And he tells them the reason that he wants them to destroy all of these places of worship to these false gods. It's so that they aren't tempted to then go and worship them. To be curious and say, you know, I wonder what they did here. I wonder what kind of God this is. And it's the reason why that as a, a pastor, part of my calling is, is to warn you, to warn you against the things that can trip you up and ensnare you in the world, the false gods that are out there. Because we shouldn't be even looking into those things. We shouldn't even be uh, investigating those things, whether it be uh, false gods of, of sin in our life or whether it be uh, false worship. And that is uh, things that are cultish, cultish in their, their worship. And, you know, I think that it, that it is necessary for uh, people to, to understand what these cults believe. And, and there are uh, people that uh, write books and there's apologetics. But, but I would say that uh, most of what we need to do is just know the truth. And when we know the truth, the error is going to be very conspicuous. It's going to stick out like a sore thumb. It's not going to be hard for us to recognize. And so we don't need to dedicate our life to studying the cults and knowing all about Mormonism or knowing all about the Jehovah's Witnesses or, or knowing all about these other things. All we need to do is to know the Word of God. And all the error and all of the false worship will be very clear to us. And he tells them, stay away from it. Don't even go there. And he warns them about the false worship of Molech, where they would bring their children to the fiery arms of Molech, red hot 
they would heat Molech's arms and they would place their babies on the altar of Molech. Molech was the god of the Ammonites. And in order to, to appease Molech, they would offer their children. And, and there would be loud music playing to deafen the cries of, of these children. It was a terrible atrocity, terrible uh, things went on in the name of worship, in the name of religion. And, and yet today, the very same thing is, is going on as, as people uh, and, and women abort their babies by the hundreds and millions to the name of financial freedom, to the God of just being able to do whatever you want to do because you don't want to be tied down to a child. And, and so the very same thing goes on today. Uh, maybe uh, people will even give birth to their children, but then they don't raise them. They just basically neglect their children. And, and in a sense, because of their selfishness, because of their desire to feed their own flesh, because of their uh, pursuit of other things, they're offering their child to the various gods that are there to be worshipped. And so uh, we have to be careful that, that we don't think, well, that just happened in ancient times and, and those were you know just weird, twisted people. Uh, really, the same thing happens today and, and it's accepted, just in a little bit different form. Chapter 13, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul." You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall put away the evil from your midst. And so he says that, that even if a, if a prophet is to come and he's to give you some sort of a prophecy, and with that he performs a sign. And the sign and the miracle happens right before your eyes. And you see it, but what he says is not of the Lord or it's not of his word that you are to reject that prophet or that dreamer of dreams he even says here that if the prophet says something and then it comes to pass but then after that he tries to lead you astray so he gives a prophecy and he says something that's going to happen and then it happens if then he tries to lead you astray and away from God, that you are to reject that prophet. And so just because someone is very charismatic or someone has uh, signs and wonders that they are performing doesn't mean they're from the Lord. Satan can duplicate and can reproduce miracles. He can heal people. 
Satan can present himself as an angel of light, the Bible tells us. Satan can reproduce and duplicate the gifts. That's why we have to, you guys, filter everything through the Word of God. That is the template that we have to go by for everything. We can't go by somebody that's performing signs and wonders. And that's a tendency for people to follow those kinds of guys. Wow, look what he's doing. And he's healing the sick. And, and maybe he's even raised the dead. And, and he's prayed for people that were going through financial troubles. And, and all of a sudden they, they had money. But, you know, he said this about Jesus and, and it was not biblical or, or he, he was leading us away from Jesus altogether, then you know that he needs to be rejected. And in this time, they were to be put to death. And I think that in our culture, we would just reject that person. We would reject that movement. We would reject that book, that author, that teacher. Obviously, we don't put people to death, but we reject them. We cut them off. It, it may as well be dead to us. And, and it has to be, you guys, of the Word of God. We don't follow after signs and wonders. And that's why Mark chapter 16 tells us that signs will follow the believer. Not the other way around. We don't follow the signs. The signs follow us. And too often in the church, we are following the signs. This is going on, so everybody wants to be a part of that, and the church follows that thing and goes after that thing. Yeah, I know they're a little bit off here, and I know the focus isn't on Jesus, and I know it's a lot of hype, but man, they're really packing the place out, or, or man, you won't believe the signs and the wonders that are going on. And everybody follows that. And then that dies off, and, and now it's the next thing, and it's the next sign. But if there's even a portion or a part of it that is extra biblical or that is not biblical and takes away from what God has revealed about himself, then we reject it and we put it to death. He says, if your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is your own soul secretly entices you, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your father's, of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you, or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. And you shall stone him with stones until he dies." Because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. And so even your family member, if they lead you away from the things of God, they were to be put to death. In fact, you were to be the one to throw the first stone. Remember Jesus said that to the, to the woman in John chapter 8? He said to, the, to the, those that were around, if they were without sin, that they could throw the first stone. That what that meant was that you were an eyewitness of the sin, that you were an eyewitness of the blasphemy, and you would be the one to throw the first stone. You would be the one to begin the death sentence. 
And the person better be sure that they were right. And that's why all those, those men that were surrounding her dropped their stone and they, they walked away. It, it was a, a, a serious thing. And he says, if your family member leads you astray, leads you away from God, wants you to worship false gods, you aren't to hide them. You're not to, to pretend like it didn't happen. You're to bring them before the authorities and you are to judge them. You were to put them to death and you were to be the first one to throw the stone. And I think the application for us is that in our family, we have uh, people that are maybe claiming to be Christians, but they're, they're serving other gods. They're trying to lead you astray. They're trying to lead your children astray. And, and they have to be, in a sense, cut off until they're willing to get their lives right. And I think that we have to treat those that claim to be Christians differently than we do those that, that make no such claim. But those that claim to know Jesus and those that are aware of their own sin and yet they're purposefully and willingly sinning against God that we would make a real stand so that they don't lead us or our children or anyone else astray. If you hear someone in one of your cities which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in saying corrupt men have gone out from among you and entice the inhabitants of their city saying let us go and serve other gods which you have not known then you shall inquire, search out and ask diligently and if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword utterly destroying it and all that is in it, its livestock with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all its plunder into the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. And so if there were cities that were worshiping these gods, they weren't to go and sit down with them and have conversation. They were to go and destroy them. And then they weren't to rebuild the city. They were just to leave it in ruins. A heap, it says here. In the Hebrew, the word is tel. And, and maybe you've heard of cities in Israel like Tel Aviv and in other places. When you, when you travel around Israel, you see all these mounds, just these huge, they look like buttes. And what they are is they're old cities that have been covered up with dirt over time. And if you were to dig under there you would find old ruins and old cities that were destroyed. And because they were heeding this command to not rebuild the city, they have these tells. And all around Israel there's these tells, these destroyed cities that were never to be rebuilt. And when they would go and do this, they weren't to take the plunder and the goods and the money for themselves. They were to take it and pile it up in the street and burn it. And that way... There, there wasn't any false motivation. You know, like maybe you heard this, this guy was, you know, had an idol in his house and all of a sudden you're just going and, and taking everything they have. No, if you were going to destroy a city, you were going to destroy it and burn it and take it down. And so there wouldn't be any false motivation for that. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. 
because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. And that's the bottom line, to do what's right in his sight. And really, these chapters are all about worship. And worship is giving to God what he deserves. It's giving to God what is right. And idolatry is giving that to another God. Giving your, your time, your efforts, your passion, your money to other gods, to other pursuits besides him. And the Lord is saying here, Look, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. And you guys, we've said it a thousand times that that, that is a, a picture of God bringing us out of the world. God bringing us out of darkness. Bringing us out of death in the life of the flesh in certain hell and redeeming us. And, and some of us are, are maybe in that place of just wandering in the desert and God wants to bring you into the land of promise. But know that in the land of promise, and really that's the place of, of being filled with the Spirit, the, the place of, of the abundant Christian life. And, and God has that for all of us. The Bible says that, that we ask by faith, and, and He'll give us the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, clearly a, a, a distinct and separate work from the Spirit in your heart. When the Spirit's come upon you, then you'll have that abundant life that He wants for you, that He wants for me. But even in that place of the land of promise, there is all sorts of idolatry, all sorts of false worship. There are battles, there are trials, there are difficulties. And we have to navigate our way through this life by the power of the Holy Spirit, destroying those things that want to gain control of us. Destroying those false places of worship. See, worship is not what we do here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. That's part of it. It's worship through music. And it's important. And we place a, a high emphasis on it and, and being excellent in it. But... That is only a very small place of worship. And what really defines us as worshipers is what we do with our lives. And the opposite of worship is idolatry. It's worshiping false gods. And there are a myriad of false gods for us to worship. And when we leave this place tonight, we'll have the opportunity to worship false gods will have the opportunity to worship in the high places if you will because really that's what we're doing when we worship these other things is is we're placing ourselves on the throne we're elevating ourselves to the place of god we're saying that we want to be like god and, and that we deserve to do what's right in our own eyes rather than as verse 18 says what is right in the eyes of the Lord. What's right in the eyes of the Lord? Are there any things in our life that are not right in the eyes of the Lord? Are there any high places of worship? Are there any idolatrous things in our life that God wants to purge out of us? And if there are, we need to do what 
Deuteronomy 12 and 13 says, destroy it, eradicate it from our life, any false place of worship. Let's stand and pray together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening, and God bless.